Hey, welcome into the Coach Bo Knows Podcast here on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisory Group at oagks.com. And as always, brought to you by our great friends at DraftKings. Hey, um, you can interact with the show on Twitter. Check out our handle. It's at Coach Bo Knows Show. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Coach Bo. Um, check out the Facebook page. You can search for Coach Bo Knows Show. You'll find us on there. You can email us anytime at show at gmail.com. This is episode 100, and I waited a little while to do episode 100 because I wanted to wait through the new year, uh, through the holidays, and here we are about two weeks into the new year. So happy new year to all of our listeners. And thanks for joining us for episode 100. Hey, a lot's happened in the last few weeks, and I'm going to talk a little NFL today, a little football, a little football coaching, a little playoff preview, and we're going to kind of do it from there. Uh, be just Coach Bo today. We'll have uh, Ellen be back in later in the week, and Uncle Rico may be stopping by soon as well. Shout out to Uncle Rico. Just had a birthday uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was great to see him during the holidays as well. He got to surprise me for my birthday, which was kind of cool. So uh, thank you, Uncle Rico, and uh, shout out to him. Hey, where I want to go start out today is briefly I'm going to mention, you know, we had a heck of a week with football coaches. And you know, as Coach Bo, I'm an ex-football coach, and I love talking about coaching. And so I want to give a shout out to really three men who um, are great coaches, I mean, Hall of Fame level and Mount Rushmore type of coaches. Um, we all know about Bill Belichick retiring from the, from the New England Patriots, not retiring, leaving the New England Patriots of a mutual decision. And we're going to talk about all the NFL openings here in a moment, and he'll be talked about quite a bit in that. Um, but 24 years in New England, I don't think you can, I don't think it's alliteration at all to say he is, if not the greatest coach in NFL history, he is certain, he's on my Mount Rushmore. I think that when I think of the great four coaches of the NFL, I think of Lombardi, I think of Bill Walsh, I think of Parcells, and I think of Bill Belichick. Uh, and Jimmy Johnson, I'm sorry. I have Jimmy Johnson ahead of Bill, Bill, Bill Parcells. But those are my top five, if you will. Um, and I don't think you can have that discussion of the greatest coaches in football history without Bill Belichick. Um, I do think, in talking about Belichick, I'm going to talk about this real quick, is I think he hasn't gotten some of his due in the last few years. You know, the Patriots have not been as good the last three seasons as they were for the 20 seasons before. A lot of that has been given more as credit to Tom Brady and less on what Bill Belichick did. And I do think that you wouldn't have either without the other, but I do think it's more likely you would have had at least a very successful Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. Um, I do think you probably would have had a successful Tom Brady at some point without Bill Belichick. Um, Bill Belichick's the one that gave him the chance and the opportunity. So I think that that's one thing I want to make sure we put out there. These last couple, three years, they haven't been as great for Bill Belichick, but he is still one of the all-time greats. And I think that we may see him somewhere else in a few weeks. And we'll talk about that here in a few, but uh, let's give him a shout-out. The other great big coaching, uh, NFL coaching um, uh, retirement, I guess not even retirement, this is, again, just a kind of a change, is the Seattle Seahawks releasing or letting go of Pete Carroll this week. Um, this one kind of hurt me a little bit. Um, I'm a huge Pete Carroll fan. 
and I'll explain why. I kind of mentioned this on the Jones Report with Tyler Jones this week, and um, I'm a fan of Pete Carroll. I think that Pete Carroll is one of the all-time great coaches. I think he is in the he is in the conversation as one of the greatest college and NFL coaches. That is a very very hard thing to do. And Pete Carroll was super successful at USC. He's been extremely successful in Seattle. He's won both a national title and a, and a Super Bowl. And he was even a very, very good coach in New England before Bill Belichick was hired. Um, I just look at Pete Carroll, and I think he's so underrated. But the reason I've been a big fan of Pete Carroll is that it goes back to when I was a coach. And so I'm going to tell this story today. This was about 10 years ago now. I had been asked to become the head coach at Veritas Christian School here in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, I had served there under my great friend, and to this day, a great, great friend in Blake Mudd. Uh, shout out to Blake. I love you, buddy. Um, who really took a lot of time and value to add to me as a coach, and to really show me that I could coach. And Blake had moved on to a, a, a job at a university, and um, a successor was brought in to who was an older gentleman, um, and, and did, it did a fine job. He was a really good man. Didn't really work out in the field for the first year, and it was more of a, he was a kind man, and I enjoyed working with him, but it was one of those things where it just wasn't a good fit for the situation. And again, a group from that school asked me if I would become head coach. I gladly did it. I had some concerns. My number one concern, this is for all youth football and for high school football, is injuries. I think that we're still seeing this with players who are newer to football, and we're seeing, and having coached some youth ball in the past, I remember this as well, it was one of those things where you're always constantly worried about head injuries, neck injuries, those sort of things. So I took the time of, I said I wanted to find something that was going to be more, a better way to coach and to teach tackle. I'm of the opinion, if you listen to this podcast, you know this, that really in football, football breaks down to two things, uh, being able to block and being able to tackle. The teams that do those two things the best is usually the team that wins. You can go back and look at the national championship game in college this, this past week. Michigan was the better blocking team, the better tackling team. If you do that, you can turn the ball over. Look at the Buffalo Bills the last few weeks. Josh Allen can turn the ball over three or four times, but they block better, they tackle better. Go back to Pete Carroll. That, that spring, I went through countless websites, books, anything I could find just to try to find strategies on teaching safer tackling. And then I came across something via Huddle. If you're not familiar with Huddle, Huddle is a system, it's a video system, it's online. You upload your playbook and your plays as a coach, and you can see the videos, and you can do everything through there. Pete Carroll um, worked with Huddle to come up with a, a clinic, so an online clinic, so to speak, for coaches and for players to learn how to tackle. They called it Hawk Tackling because they were the Seahawks. And it came from the idea of rugby tackling. You know, in rugby tackling, you can't lead with your head because you're not wearing a helmet and there's no pads, so we got you got to be safer about it. And we went through this, my, 
my, myself, my staff, uh, Barry Kingery, a few others that we were working with, uh, especially Barry and I, and we said, how do we teach this to our kids? Because what we saw was this was the way to go. And this group of young men who we had worked with with other coaches for three or four years before, we realized that blocking and tackling was our issues. That was what we were having problems with. The kids were scared of getting hurt. And so I said, well, let's figure this out. Hawk Tackling and Pete Carroll turned my team around. I showed the videos to the kids. We taught Hawk Tackling. We taught those kids without pads, without helmets, for the first few practices. And we had them tackling into, into uh, uh, like drop pads, like, um, uh, like padded you have on the ground. And we had them going into those things. We had used tackling dummies. We used a lot of things that were safe. And the teaching head placement. If you're old school, you've always been taught you want as a defender, you want to get your head across the person, across the, tack, the, 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 the ball carrier. What Pete Carroll was saying is, no, what you actually want is you want to get the force of your body to the nearest hip of a ball carrier. And then take them down. It was to hit the hip and drive through. Hit and drive for three. And our boys became tackling machines. And I thought about that and thought about that. And again, it goes back to my, my, my admiration for Pete Carroll goes back to that piece. Was that how he built the Legion of Boom with Dan Quinn and the things they did went back to that tackling piece. They didn't have the injuries everybody else did with defensive backs. And in a time and era where it was even harder to be a defensive back, they were getting more interceptions than everybody, they were hitting players still, and they were tackling. And that's because of what they learned. And they, again, they took it from rugby. I'm not a big rugby fan. I've watched a few games. I think it's fun. But I really enjoyed that. And so the Pete Carroll thing was a big deal. And uh, seeing Pete Carroll um, leave Seattle this week, I guess it was not his choice. But uh, I sure hope he gets to coach again. And I hope for Pete Carroll that he gets a position somewhere that he wants to coach. Uh, if he wants to. You know, Pete Carroll's an older guy. And I was talking to Tyler Jones about this on the, again, on the, on the Jones Report. Check that out on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance um, this week. And I said, what I hope for Pete Carroll is I hope that he finds continued football happiness, if that's what he wants. And I really could see Pete Carroll doing something like Bill Walsh did at the end of his career. If you're not familiar, Bill Walsh, the old 49ers coach, Hall of Fame coach, the, the coach of the 80s, after leaving San Francisco, took a few years off, and then he ended up coaching at Stanford and was really kind of the first building block to bringing Stanford to being a, a better team, a more competitive team, but then Jim Harbaugh took over a number of years later. Um, but I'd like to see Pete Carroll do something like that. Go find you you know, a, a small university in the, somewhere on the West Coast where the weather's nice and and teach kids how to play, whether it's a Division One level or Division Two level, whatever that might be. And um, I've, seen that, I've seen that in basketball a little bit more and more, especially the college level. I've seen that with a couple of guys just in the last few weeks that I've been watching. And I hope for something like that for Pete Carroll, if coaching's still in his blood. And if not, my hat's off to you, Coach Carroll. I think you're a great coach, a Hall of Fame coach. And uh, thank you for your contribution to football. The third big, uh, this was a retirement, and this was not NFL-related, but it's, if you know me well enough, and certainly if you've heard this podcast, you know that the sports term that I 
dislike the most is the GOAT. You know, the greatest of all time. I'm of the opinion that there is no great one, one greater than everybody. It's really about perspective. You know, you can argue Michael Jordan is the greatest baseball basketball player of all time. You can say Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. I'll disagree with you on Tom Brady. I don't think he's the greatest football player of all time. But there's arguments. I'm not sure there's an argument against Nick Saban. And I've, you know, I'm someone who is an LSU fan, as an LSU is a Louisiana guy. It's been hard to see to see Nick Saban in at Alabama these last few years. But um to me, he's the best. He's the best that's ever done it. Um, there's certainly arguments for Bear Bryant and others, and I would listen to those arguments. But what I would say is that I have a great deal of not just respect for Nick Saban as a coach, but as a man. Um, one thing I've gone out of my way to do in the last few months is listen to him on the Pat McAfee show. I always get something from those conversations. And if you're a frequent Instagram or TikTok person, I'm not great at it, but I do like watch the videos and such. There's always some kind of great motivation with Nick Saban. And um, I've taken that into my business and in my personal life. I would, I think that he's not just a great coach, but obviously a great man. And he's got a lot to contribute still to this world and not just on a football field. I can't wait to see what his next chapter is. Um, I mean, I think obviously he's going to be working for ESPN. I think it looks like he's going to be on game day. Uh, I think that's pretty much a no-brainer at this point. You know, if you want to look at a Lee Corso replacement down the road, wherever Lee Corso decides to retire, I think Nick Saban's a perfect fit for that. He's also, frankly, hysterical when you see him at certain times. Um, but the motivation things and the, the what he represents, a way to carry yourself, um, I think it's especially effective for men. I don't want to shortcome ladies in this, but what I mean by that is Nick Saban appears to be a man's man without being a tough guy. And I think that's so important. I think it, when you look at Alabama football players, whether they're in the NFL or didn't make it in the NFL or just on television or wherever you see them, they all carry themselves with a certain amount of self-respect. And if you look, those players come from a different background than Nick Saban. They come from a different place. They come from lots of different places. And, but they all get the consistency of having self-respect, being disciplined, and having dignity. And I think a lot of times in this world, I think this happens for both men and women, certainly, but I think especially for young men, the idea of having self-respect and dignity they are, they are items that you can have without being a loud, tough guy. And I think that for generations, those ideas may not have been together. And um, I think Nick Saban embodies that idea. Um, I think about Nick Saban's coaching career, and you know, I've known of Nick Saban since his days in the Cleveland Browns. Um, if you don't know, yes, Nick Saban was a coach for the Cleveland Browns. He was the def last defensive coordinator before the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. He was working with his good friend, Bill Belichick. The reason I'm so certain that Belichick's probably going to do well if he goes somewhere else is that they were really good in Cleveland. Um, but you look at what Nick Saban is. He went from Cleveland, 
became the head coach at uh, Toledo, uh, from Toledo to Michigan State. He knew at Michigan State he could never be Michigan. I mean, you can beat Michigan once in a while, but you can't become Michigan. And it looked like, okay, you know, he gets the opportunity. And at the time, this was in the late 90s, it was kind of crazy to think that when Nick Saban took the job at LSU, it was 1999, 2000, around that time, that Nick Saban left Michigan State, a Big Ten school, to go to an also-ran in the SEC, which is what LSU was at the time. And Saban goes to LSU, and he had the idea. I remember I've seen a couple of things about this now. There's a great um, couple of ESPN products about this, interviews with Saban, where he's talked about his idea at, at LSU was – he looked and said, all these great players play high school ball in Louisiana, but they all go somewhere else. They go to Alabama or Florida or they go out to California or they go somewhere different. And his idea from leaving Michigan State and going to LSU was, well, if I get those guys to stay, I can build a good program. It was the only major state school. And the idea of let me get those kids to stay, it's, it's sort of like what the original idea for the University of Miami was, and the U, and Howard Schnellenberger in the 80s. And he said, we're going to cut this line at I-95 off, and everything south of there is us. Nick Saban did that in Louisiana. And that's what he did. He got in there, and he started recruiting players to stay. And he got the best kids from New Orleans, and the best kids from Baton Rouge, and the best kids from all these small towns, where you look, and there are kids littered all over the place. I mean, little Pachatula, Louisiana, you know, 5,000 people has got a current NFL player on their roster. And these little towns produce great football players. And Nick Saban said, I'm going to keep them in LSU. He took LSU from an also ran to a national champion. And when you win a national title and you're at a place like that at the time, you have an opportunity to go somewhere. And he went to the Miami Dolphins. And as an LSU fan, I was so happy that Nick Saban got us a national championship. And I was disappointed when he left to the Dolphins. But I understood. I mean, you win a national title, you want to go to the NFL. And he's been criticized, Saban has, for his couple of years in Miami. Where I give him a little bit of a break on that is I'll say, you know, the thing is, is that his first year he went and looked at two quarterbacks and free agency because they didn't have the draft capital and it was down to two quarterbacks. He could take Dante Culpepper or he could take Drew Brees and Drew Brees failed to physical. He wanted Drew Brees. How much would the NFL have been different if in 2003 Drew Brees signs with Miami and not with New Orleans? And instead of the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, you had the Nick Saban, Drew Brees era. Could Nick Saban and Drew Brees have been Belichick and Brady? It's a deep thought to think about. Um, after a couple of years, again, things not really working out with you know Dante Culpepper and 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 again they won ten games the second year, but it wasn't a great fit. And the and Alabama came calling. Alabama with their rich history and. And coming through and saying, hey, here's this great recruiter who did it at LSU. If you could do it at LSU, you could do it at Alabama, was the people's thinking there. He can recruit. He likes the college game. Let's see what happens. 
And from there, Nick Saban put together the most dominant period in college football. Seven national championships. They've been in the ranked in the top 10 for the last 10 years. Think about that. At no point in the last decade has Alabama been ranked outside the top 10. That's amazing. The sheer number of NFL players that came from the, from the University of Alabama during Nick Saban's time. I don't think there is a single roster in the NFL that doesn't have Nick Saban players. It's amazing to think about that. And do you think about great, great coaches? He's one of those first and foremost that comes to mind. I think he's the best college football coach of all time. Um, I also think he might be one of the greatest just straight-up coaches of all time at anything, at any level. And again, it goes back to that motivation, to that bringing people together in an idea to you have discipline and you also have dignity. And you look, those players loved him for all those years. This, you know, any issues that he may have had at Alabama with, you know, Alabama people, you know, some of the people who wanted, you know, um, Maybe didn't want to see certain. Maybe wanted more success. I don't know how you get more than what they've done, and that's going to be a hard job to fill. It's going to be hard shoes. They got to fill the job already. We know who's going to be going, but that's going to be a hard job. And Chris DeBoer is going to have a a real tough job with handling if there's any lack any lack of non successful times. The first time Alabama falls out of the top ten. You're going to hear Bama people try to fire him. That's going to be a hard standard to hold. But Nick Saban could hold it. And so um, hats off to Nick Saban. Hey, I want to thank, while we're on here, real quick, I want to send a shout-out to our friends at DraftKings. Listen, if you're listening now, hit the show notes. In there, there's a link. Follow that link. If you haven't joined DraftKings yet, get on. You're going to get a special promo code. When you get in there, get in the link. Follow the link, sign up at DraftKings. You're going to get 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $250. Then you're going to get all sorts of free plays. Um, look, I'm a DraftKings player. I play almost every day, and I get bonuses all the time. I mean, it'll be bonuses that'll come in at you know one or two o'clock in the afternoon, saying, "Hey, don't forget about this extra same game parlay bonus, or um, you know this parlay bonus, or get a free bet." Uh, you know, different ideas and things that are out there for um, DraftKings. So we love partnering with DraftKings. They've been great to us here at the Coach Bonos Podcast. We thank you. We thank them for being a part of the podcast. And we encourage you, if you want to get down on some action, whether it's the NFL, whether it's college basketball, baseball will be coming up in a couple of months. We'll be talking a lot about that. I encourage you, get on DraftKings. Use the link in the show notes. That'll help us. It helps you. Bam. Thank you, DraftKings, for all things you do. Okay, here's what we're going to do today. We just had what I like to, I heard, I heard termed card key Monday, <laughs> the first Monday after the season. The NFL has let go of some coaches. Okay, so all that goes into, uh, again, we've termed card key Monday, <laughs> meaning you go to the facility, your card key doesn't work to get in. Um, before the season ended, we already had a couple of firings. We know that Josh McDaniels was fired by the Raiders. Brandon Staley out with the Chargers. And then came Monday. 
Um, the Titans fire Mike Vrabel. The Commanders fire Ron Rivera. The Falcons fired Arthur Smith on Sunday night. He didn't even make it to Monday morning. Uh, the Panthers had already fired Frank Wright. That happened before the card key Monday. So we had those first three out. And then a couple within a couple days, we get Pete Carroll leaving Seattle and Bill Belichick leaving New England. So I'm going to talk about the eight openings right now. This stuff fascinates me, and this is where we're going to go for a little bit before we get into wildcard weekend action. I want to talk about the eight coaches that are gone and kind of what's the what could have happened, what could happen, where are we going to go from here. So first off, let's tell us review who the eight openings are. Uh, current openings, New England Patriots let go of Bill Belichick. Now, they have hired Gerard Mayo, uh, who is their – he was assistant head coach. He was the D-line coach, longtime player for Belichick. This has kind of been cooked into the books already. I think that the Patriots have known they were going to do this for quite some time. And um, whether it was move on, when they moved off from Belichick, Mayo was going to be the coach. And so we already know what's going to happen there. I think Seattle kind of threw us full loop letting go of Pete Carroll. I, I thought that if Pete Carroll was going to leave it be by his own um, – by his, on his own terms, but it looks like this was, a, again, kind of a mutual thing where it's, hey, we don't want to fire you, but we need to bring in something else. The biggest surprise to me was the Titans and Mike Vrabel. I did not see this one coming. This was the one that I am inquisitive about, and, and the reason being, this speaks more to the Titans' management than it does to Mike Vrabel. Um, granted, they haven't been in the playoffs the last couple of years, but the Titans have been wishy-washy at the quarterback position, which is the thing you have to be solid at to be successful as a as a um, as a team, as a program at all. And I think that's really handcuffed Mike Vrabel. Also, frankly, they have him under contract, and they could have done a trade situation, sort of like what happened with Sean Payton uh, last year, and they chose not to. Ownership has said that they felt that they wanted to get on the coaching hires as quickly as possible and that the time and energy in doing that would not be worth it. Uh, I don't understand that. They're going to get a coach. They're not going to get – I don't think they're going to get the first or second choices out there. Uh, why would you when you just did Mike Vrabel wrong, who's, a, again, just a, a guy who's respected by everyone? So I think that – having making that deal would have been even better for the Titans, not just to get compensation, but also to make it more attractive as a job. The commanders released Ron Rivera. Um, Ron Rivera is a guy that I kind of go back and forth on. I think there's times where he's been a nice, solid coach. But the more I think about it, I think that it's one of those things where he was successful back in his Carolina days because he had Cam Newton. And the older I get, the more I think about that. I think that Ron Rivera as a head coach probably just owes a shitload to Cam Newton more than he is just a great coach. Um, we knew about the Chargers, the Panthers, the Raiders. The Falcons fired Arthur Smith. And again, this one is hilarious because of what happened in the last game. Um, it looks like at the time we knew that the Falcons played the Saints in Week 17. If Tampa had lost the game in the afternoon, the winner of that Falcons-Saints game would have made the playoffs. The Falcons laid a total dud in that game. And in the end, lose to their biggest rival the last week of the season by 40 points. Now, 
I know what happened in the last play. Again, I watched it, and if you know me, you know I'm a Saints guy. Um, I didn't agree with that, you know, good in victory formation and then hand the ball off for the last touchdown. But then Arthur Smith, you know, yells at Dennis Allen, the coach of the Saints. Uh, but Arthur Smith's fate was done at the, be- at the beginning of that game. Once they, once they weren't even competitive in that game, that was the last straw. Uh, it didn't look good for Arthur Smith. The other three opens, again, the Chargers fired Brandon Staley a few weeks ago. Their general manager is out now as well. The Panthers fired Frank Wright. Their general managers got fired last week. Booting both those positions open. And the Raiders fired Josh Allen, or Josh McDaniels. I almost said Josh Allen. Um, and since they have fired Josh McDaniels, Antonio Pierce stepped in as the interim coach. And I really hope he gets that job. He is deserving. Um, Antonio Pierce has gone full on Ed Ogeron here. He came in with an attitude and a plan, and the Raiders beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead on Christmas, and it dominated them in every which way. And not only that, they were competitive from week one of the Antonio Pierce era. I think he's I think he's coached his way into that job. I know he is the leading candidate. Uh, I sure hope he gets that job. A um, couple of firings that didn't happen. I don't know how Dennis Allen still has a job in New Orleans. Well, I do know, and I guess I'm going to go there. Yes, I'm going to go there. If you know me, you know I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. I grew up in Louisiana. He's my, the Saints are my team. Back in March, I said I would not follow this team this year because of the signing of Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is a worthless NFL quarterback. I thought it was a terrible signing then. I still think it's a terrible signing. I have been proven to be correct. Again, so Dennis Allen has been a horrible head coach. No matter where, where it was in, in, whether it was back when he had the Raiders in Oakland or now in New Orleans, he has an under 500 record as a head coach. His team, he lost his team. His team does not respect him. They haven't all season. The only player that Dennis Allen appears to care about is, is Derek Carr. And if you look, you can see that the Saints, fan, the Saints team does not respect Dennis Allen by how they handle the last play of the game against the Falcons. For those that don't know, late in the game against the Atlanta Falcons, Week 17, um, Tyron Matthew picks off Desmond Ritter, takes it all the way down to the one-yard line. The Saints, with one minute to go, can just kneel down. Players went to Dennis Allen and said, we'd like to get Jamal Williams a touchdown. Dennis Allen says, no, go ahead and kneel. Now, look, I do agree with that. I don't think you line up and run a play with a minute to go, up 35 points like they were at the time, even against your biggest rival at home. I don't think I would have lined up and run a play. I would have kneeled down. So the team goes out into the field with Jameis Winston at quarterback and they go into victory formation. As it turns out, James Winston has said this, it's been confirmed. In the huddle, the players changed the play. They went into victory formation, the ball was snapped, and instead of Winston taking a knee, he handed it to Jamal Williams, who promptly scored a one-yard touchdown. I don't agree with that play. I don't agree with what the players did there. But what it does tell me is those players don't respect Dennis Allen. And to me, that means he's got to go. Not only does he have to go because of that play, 
but they have woefully underperformed. The New Orleans Saints came into this season thinking in the offseason that adding Derek Carr was going to make them a Super Bowl contender, that they were going to be in the top level of the NFC. They thought they were the favorite in the NFC South, and they really thought they were going to be up there with the Eagles and the 49ers. Now, look, I warned them. I warned anyone who would listen that wasn't going to happen, not because of the team. The team is a good team. But one, Dennis Allen's a terrible coach, and Derek Carr is a horrible starting quarterback in the NFL at this point. He is 10 years in. He's not going to get any better. And New Orleans wasted a lot of money and a lot of cap space and any cap flexibility in signing him. Thus me literally not wearing Saints gear this past year, packing it into a box, and it's still in that box. And I won't be wearing it again in 2024 until Dennis Allen and Derek Carr are gone. So there you go. I'll have more about that whole situation on a future pod. So the Saints avoid Dennis Allen, and the Bears avoid firing uh, Matt Eberflus. The Bears played a lot better the last month of the season. Josh Fields was, a bit, was, more, was a better player. He was healthier. And now the Bears do have an issue. They have to figure out, is, is Justin Fields their quarterback? Because they have the number one pick in the draft. They have Carolina's pick that Carolina gave them in the Bryce Young trade last year. And sitting there at the top of the draft board is, is Kalen Williams. And Caleb Williams, to me, is the best draft prospect, the best quarterback draft prospect since Andrew Luck. I'm that since Joe Burrow. And this is a guy that, no matter where he goes, he's going to be good enough to be a top 10 quarterback within a year or two. The guy's a phenomenal football player. He plays football. He, it, it's, he's not just a strong-armed quarterback. He's a smart quarterback. He's an athletic quarterback. He has the size you need. He is a better version of what C.J. Stroud is, and C.J. Stroud's had an incredible rookie year. Um, to me, it's a no-brainer. He's a number one pick. So what do the Bears do? Well, the Bears have decided they're going to keep Eberflus, so that tells me they're probably going to keep Justin Fields as well. Um, the reason I think I would have let Eberflus go was there was the issue early in the season with the, the, the coaching staff and a couple of issues there with the defensive coordinator who was let go. But then there's just been inconsistency. And I think that new coach and then maybe letting just, trading Justin Fields, even if it wasn't for as much as you think you can get for him, and bringing in Caleb Williams with a new, whether you want to say a big-name coach or a great-fit coach, would be a great reset that the organization needs. So I'm surprised on the Bears didn't do that. But I think what the Bears and the Saints share are ownership issues. And I'll talk a little more about that at another time. It's going to be on this podcast. But that's really the thing there, is the Bears and the Saints' ownership issues are the reason that they're not doing the full resets they probably both need to do. Two other jobs could come open. Don't be surprised, folks. If the Philadelphia Eagles, one year removed from the Super Bowl, if they get beat by Tampa on Monday night, don't be surprised if Nick Sirianni's gone. 
They've lost five out of six coming into the playoffs. They have really limped into the playoffs. Now, I think a big reason, I think Jalen Hurts is injured. I think his hand is in bad shape. I think he has been injured for half the season. That defense has been horrible, and they've had to deal with a lot of shuffling of the cards, so to speak. But they have a lot of talent over there, and they really haven't put it together this year. Don't be surprised. I've heard those rumblings uh, like everybody else has. I don't know if it'll happen, but don't be surprised. If they're not competitive with Tampa and lose, he's gone. Now, if they lose a close game where they play really well, but Tampa somehow plays with them, I don't see that happening. Then I think he's safe. And I think if he beats Tampa, which is the most likely thing, I don't think Tampa's very good at all. I think that Sirianni stays. But don't be surprised. The other one... I think that Mike McCarthy could be in trouble, y'all. I think that there's too many big-name head coaches out there, and if Dallas was to stub their toe early, whether that's this week or next, don't be surprised if old Jerry decides that he doesn't want McCarthy anymore. Um, I think that Mike McCarthy, I've never been a big fan of Mike McCarthy. I do think that the Cowboys have been very, very good this year. And I think they're as likely to go to the Super Bowl as they are to stub their toe. So don't get it twisted. Don't think that I'm trying to hate on the Cowboys here. I've actually rooted for them a couple times this year, which is amazing because I hate the Dallas Cowboys. But I think, again, they're just as likely to win the NFC as they are to lose the first week. We'll see what happens. That's what I could think happens. Well, let's do this. We've got the eight openings. We know one is full. The, the, the Patriots have already hired Gerard Mayo. It looks like the Raiders are going to go Antonio Pierce, so I'm not going to talk as much about it. But that leaves us with six openings. I'm not going to sit here and predict who's going to, try to, who's going to get these jobs, but I'm going to talk about the, the upsides and the downsides of each. I will touch on the two that are filled already. The Patriots, again, they went with an internal candidate in Gerard Mayo, Makes a ton of sense. It's a good, they want to keep something with the Belichick era. You knew that whenever Belichick left, it was going to be a Belichick guy that goes in. You know, whether that was going to be Josh McDaniels or Matt Patricia, I think for years, those were the two people thought it would be. And then the last couple of years, it's been, no, you can't hire either of those two guys. But it needed to be someone from the Belichick era. Um, kind of surprised that Bill O'Brien is not in that conversation. So I, I think that puts him as a candidate for other positions. And frankly, I think he's a good candidate for other positions. So don't be as surprised on that one. Um, again, the, the positives to the Patriots, you know, you have the Patriot way. They already do things. You have a great ownership. You're going to get what you need if you're the Patriots coach with Robert Kraft as your owner. So again, I, I think that you look at ownership's a big deal. I think you have to look at two things when you look at these jobs. The two things we're going to look at today is going to be ownership and quarterbacks. And the quarterback situation is really more than anything. And I'll tell you why. If you're the coach, you've got to have consistency of ownership. The ownership consistency is what's going to give you a foundation to lay your foundation on. That's why the Belichick thing worked for so long is that he worked hand-in-hand. Hand. Now, the owners, there was always some issues, especially in the last few years with Kraft and Belichick, but in the end, the respect was there each way. And it was, okay, do your thing, Bill, and he did his thing. You see that with successful ownership. 
that happened in Seattle for Pete Carroll for all those years. I mean, people don't people forget that was a really really bad franchise, and Pete Carroll turned that thing around. And a lot of that had to do with Paul Allen and the, as the owner of the team giving Pete Carroll what he needed to be successful. The Raiders. Now, the Raiders, again, it looks like it's going to be Antonio Pierce. That's not confirmed. It's a Saturday afternoon as I'm recording this. But it looks like he is the lead candidate. I would be shocked if it's not Antonio Pierce. And frankly, if if uh, if uh, Davis, the owner, does not hire Antonio Pierce, he loses his locker room. I think you have to hire Antonio Pierce. I'm not saying that I think he, he, that Antonio Pierce is the next Bill Belichick or anything like that. But what I do think is it's a win in the locker room. And the Raiders desperately need that. They desperately need a win with the locker room to get that team back together after what Josh McDaniels did to that franchise. So let's hope that Mark Davis does the same thing, does something good there. Again, with ownership with that team, Mark Davis, if he's, he, he's going to support his coach. It took a lot for Mark Davis to fire Josh McDaniels. So I don't see that he would be quick to pull the trigger on a firing in Antonio Pierce who's really liked by his players. Let's get into the other six uh, situations. The first one was the first one that came open, and that was the Panthers. Now, Frank Reich, who I think is a really good coach, was let go by the Panthers. And I think this has more to do with ownership and the development of Bryce Young more than anything else. Okay, with the Panthers, um, Frank Wright's let go. Again, I think it goes down to those two things we talked about a moment ago. Um, you know, the development of Bryce Young has not gone well year one. Bryce Young did not look good at all his first year in the NFL. And this is a guy who, again, this team traded three first-round picks to move up. And to do that, you can't go wrong. And it looks like the Panthers may have made the wrong pick because of how well C.J. Stroud has played his rookie year. However, I think there's still hope for Bryce Young, and I think that a lot of it had to do with there's not a lot of stuff around him right now. Um, I think Frank Wright, there's some issues with how they were coaching the quarterback. Who knows? But we do know that David Tepper is their coach, is their, is their owner. David Tepper is you know um, a, a billionaire, and he's um, one of these rich guys who – he has money. He just paid cash for a football team. When you pay cash for a couple billion dollars for a football team, you got it. And you're going to want it done his way. And we've seen him already in three years fire two coaches. Um, he's going to have to hire a coach and a GM. He's going to throw a shitload of money at the problem like some rich people do. He's just going to throw money at it and see what happens. Um, I don't know who's going to end up being the coach here. I think this is one of those kind of coach and GM co- combo things. Whether that is... Jim Harbaugh and a you know someone an associate of his as a as a general manager, or putting together kind of the dream GM with the dream head coach, we'll see what happens there. But uh, that's where I think the Panthers went wrong is that Frank Reich just did not develop Bryce Young correctly, and then the rest of the team isn't very talented. They've got a poor roster right now, and they don't have a lot of draft capital because of the trade for Bryce Young. So going into that job. I think that that's probably, if I look at those other six openings, I think it's either five or six. I think it's probably six because of the draft pieces. I do like the idea of having the young quarterback, but he's an undersized quarterback, 
And I think unless you've got some history with Bryce Young, I think that's going to be a hard one. So we'll see what happens with Carolina. The next job I look at and I say, wow, um, this is the worst of the, of the remaining ones. I think the Panthers job is a tough one because, again, the issues with the, with the, with the draft capital. The next one's the Commanders. The Commanders fire Ron Rivera. Um, again, nothing has really worked out for the Commanders the last few years. Why do you want to get back in all the Daniel Snyder stuff? We're not going to worry about all that today and relitigate all that. But I think the important thing to think about is where are they going forward? Do they have a franchise quarterback? I don't think they do in Sam Howell. I, we saw a few things in Sam Howell. I think he's a, a decent quarterback. But I think in order to be a perennial playoff team, a contender for a division, a, a real contender for the Super Bowl, you've got to have a top-notch quarterback, and you've got to have someone who's consistently good. I don't know if that's Sam Howell. Also, the commanders, they don't have their ownership. they got a new ownership. We don't know exactly a lot about the situation. But what we do know is... They're fighting for a new stadium. They're fighting over, you know, litigating what's happened in the past with the team. There's a lot of moving parts to this. I could see that the commanders may go in and say, we need stability. And if ownership is cared, if ownership cares, and again, I'm not this familiar with their new ownership, because they're brand new ownership, about what's going on here. I think this is a reset, letting go of Ron Rivera. And it's, what do you do here? So I'm going to give you three names. I think this is a perfect landing spot for Belichick or or Mike Vrabel. I think, again, consistency. It doesn't get much more consistent than Bill Belichick. Now, what I'd like to see in Bill Belichick if he goes to the commanders is a young general manager with him. I can see Mike Rabel with the commanders. Again, consistency, kind of toughness that he has. He carries a lot of respect around the league as far as with the players. So I think you can see some changes in there. Um, neither have really had an interest in developing a quarterback. So I think that's going to also be an issue. And it looks like the commanders will have to be a team that drafts a quarterback this year. And I haven't looked to see where they are in the draft. As I look this up, the commanders actually picked second. Um, so, yeah, picking second, you're going to have a choice here. Whether that's you, if for some reason, somehow, the Bears or whoever trade for number one don't take Caleb Williams, the, the, whoever, uh, the commanders may have an issue. If the issue being, are you going to take the second-best quarterback, which some people say is Drake May. Uh, some people out there calling Drake May better than the quarterback from North Carolina, better than uh, Caleb Williams. I personally don't see that. Or do you draft the next top-notch, surefire player, which is Marvin Harrison Jr.? Um, I don't know what will happen with the commanders, but I know that that's going to be a tough decision they have to make. Um, maybe you try to trade down if someone falls in love with Drake May and they want to get to number two. Maybe you can get stay in the top five or the top eight and pick up another draft pick. I think that's probably a better idea. But whoever the coach is, is going to make a hard decision on that. And they're going to be tied to whomever is that number two pick, whether it's a QB or Marvin Harrison Jr. So whatever happens there, happens there. But that's why, to me, of the remaining six jobs, I kind of have it fifth. The next one to me 
is the Titans at four. Now, I don't think the Titans should have fired Mike Vrabel. I'm very, I'm going to make that very clear. I don't think the Titans have helped Mike Vrabel. I don't think that this quarterback situation is very good. And if the ownership is going to fire a guy who has taken a whole lot of chicken shit and turned it into a little bit of chicken salad, I think that you have to be weary if you're going to be the next coach there. Now, having said that, the guy they're going to look heavily at is Ben Johnson, the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator, thinking let's get the big-time OC in here and let's figure out which of these quarterbacks we got that we're going to use moving forward because they've got a couple of them in-house. We'll see what's going to happen. Uh, But to me, that needs to be the hire they make. I don't know that's what they'll do, but if I'm the Titans, I have to go find someone with that offensive mind um, to see what these two quarterbacks have got and to figure it out from there. The thing that I would have an issue with in taking that job is ownership and what they did to Mike Vrabel. If they would do that to Mike Vrabel and we still don't have a quarterback, we still don't think Will Levis is the guy, you know, or whatever it is, how do I attach myself to that organization. So that's an issue for me. The third one is the Chargers. Now, this is the one that a lot of people think is the best opening. I disagree. I don't think this is the best opening. And I think that the reason is, you look at the quarterback situation, it is by far the best quarterback situation. You have the guy. You have Justin Hurt. He's your franchise guy. Now, he's going into his fifth year, which means, or fourth year, so he gets the one-year extension as you can give him, uh, which you kind of thrust upon him with the um, quarterback rules and with him being a first-round pick. So you have the consistency there. You know you have the guy at quarterback. You know you've got a couple of good defensive pieces with the Bosa kid, with Khalil Mack. You've got some pass rushers. Now, you are in a division with Kansas City. You're going to have to be good because Kansas City is always going to be good with Patrick Mahomes. You got the Raiders, who we, I, th- I think if, if they find a situation with their quarterback play, that could be a little better. And of course, we know we like Antonio Pierce. That's going to be the, being their coach. I also like what Denver has done with Sean Payton and them cutting ties with Russell Wilson. I'm going to talk more about that on a future pod, but I think it was ballsy. And I think in the long run, it helps. So get ready, because I think Sean Payton's going to build something in Denver. So if you're the Chargers, to me, that's what makes it less appealing. You're going to be in a tough division all around. Yes, that's the best quarterback situation. But the ownership situation sucks. It's the worst of the six openings. As crazy as David Tepper is, at least David Tepper in Carolina will pay the money. The Spanos brothers do not care. They don't spend money. And if they're not willing to spend money and they're not, they don't have their own stadium, you're not going to play home games. You're basically playing road games every week because you're playing in the Rams stadium and people come in from L.A. to go to the games. To me, it makes the Charger situation, the quarterback situation of the Chargers, it makes it less attractive than others would think it is. So to me, if I was, if I was one of those top guys, I would not go for that job either. Well, that leaves us with two. One of them, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Atlanta Falcons just let go of Arthur Smith. The Atlanta Falcons is my number two, and I'll tell you why. 
I like I don't like the quarterback situation. Desmond Ritter's not a great quarterback. You're drafting at eight if you're the Falcons. Uh, you're not going to get Caleb Williams because you cannot trade up from eight to one unless you give up way too much to do it. I'm again, I'm not sold on Drake May, but even at eight, you're not getting Drake May. This is the possible landing spot for Jalen Daniels. If you can get Jalen Daniels and the right coaches with him, there's a lot of pieces on that team already. B. John Robinson, um, the tight end, uh, whose name is escaping me right now, the Florida kid who is extremely good. The defense needs a lot of improvement. Again, you bring in a good DC, get get that, get the locker room back with you. I think you can do some things. Frankly, also, you're in a bad division. Everyone's bad in that division. Carolina's awful and going to be a couple of years till they can do anything. New Orleans is going to get worse. They've already shown you they're going to get worse because of Dennis Allen and Derek Carr. They've committed to those two guys. And as long as they commit to those two guys, the defense is going to get older with them. That team's not going to make the playoffs next year either. So someone's going to have to be the alpha male. Uh, the other team's Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, again, I don't think they're a very good team. I think they were the... They were the best of the worst teams in that division. The Falcons are the place you can go if you can get a quarterback and go and be good quickly. To me, that's the second best job. Also, in the ownership, you got Arthur Blank. Now, Arthur Blank has taken a lot of criticism locally in Atlanta recently, and he really hasn't gotten that over his years as the owner. Um, if you don't know Arthur Black, he's one of the original Home Depot guys. He bought the Falcons a number of years ago. They have not been as successful. They have not been They haven't been successful at all in his ownership. But what Arthur Blank understands is that it's the Falcons are part of that community, and he's made it where they built the Mercedes Benz um, Stadium there. He's put some limitations on, you know, ticket prices and concessions. Because he realizes, Arthur Blank does, that he wants families to come to games. He wants to be part of the Atlanta community. If you know anything about Atlanta, Atlanta really is a place where lots of people from the South and different parts of the South come from to go to. Um, it's this big hub. It's sort of like Dallas in a way. People from, you know, as far as Louisiana and Mississippi and Georgia and Florida and the Carolinas they all get out of college. These young people get out of college, and they go to Atlanta because it's the biggest city in the South. And so you have a lot of people from different places that may be fans of different teams. And what Arthur Blank has tried to do is get his team to be the team. I saw an interview this week where Arthur Blank was asked a really great question by a member of the local Atlanta uh, um, journal, a journalist there in Atlanta. And the question was phrased as, Mr. Blank, people in this community respect you and appreciate what you've done with making the experience of going to a Falcons game different than every other one in the league. You can afford to take a family of four. You can afford to go to a game. I've been to that stadium. That seems a beautiful stadium. And the concessions are very affordable, especially for an NFL team. A, a beer is $8 there. I mean, I went to a Chiefs game a couple weeks ago, and a beer was fifteen dollars. You know, it's hard. You can take a family of four to a football game, but you can in Atlanta. And again, he's been given a lot of credit for that. But this journalist said in the in the interview in the press conference said, "Hey, but what about the situation where this team hasn't been successful for a number of years now on the field? And what are you going to do 
differently than what you have done in your stewardship of this team for the last decade or so. And Arthur Blank said, I have to change what I'm doing. I have to be more accountable to the product on the field, and I have to be more in line with what's going on. He's not a football expert by any means, and that's not what he's saying. He's not saying he's going to be telling them what plays to call. I don't think he wants to be Jerry Jones out there meddling as a general manager. But what I think Arthur Blank is saying is he wants to trust his football people and get the right football people in place to build a better team and not just an experience. There are some really great pieces there, some pieces that you could build a franchise around, some pieces that you could build a team around, especially in the situation they're currently in. You know, I'm looking at this team right now, and I'm going, hey, I got guys like Kyle Pitts. I've got guys like, um, uh, you know, um, B. John Robinson. And I'm looking at that, and I'm going, okay, there are pieces here on this team. You know, Drake London was a first-round pick this past year and didn't have a great rookie year, but again, he's someone who I think is a hell of a player. Let's finally figure out this quarterback situation. You know, I don't think that Tyler Heineke and Desmond Ritter are the answer. It's going to take a reset at that position. It's going to take a coach who knows how to play with that player. I'd like to see this is where Jaden Daniels could go into Atlanta and become as popular as Michael Vick. This franchise hasn't been popular since Michael Vick. And a lot, there was a lot of hurt with the franchise and with their fans because of what happened with Michael Vick at the end of his time there. Um, but I look at it now and I go, this is their opportunity. As a Saints fan, this scares the shit out of me. That's why I think it's so important for the Saints to somehow get ahead of the Falcons in this draft and draft Jaden Daniels before the Falcons can and get Derek Carr out the paint. But that's not going to happen. So, again, my number two team, as far as best, and this is right to the good ones, Atlanta is a place that should get a great coach. It should be a great hire, and they should get a quarterback in this offseason, and they should be the team that takes the leap from and also ran this year to a really good team next year. The best opening to me is Seattle. Again, I was very surprised with the Pete Carroll move. I thought that if Pete Carroll were going to leave, it would be on his own, given his age. He's the oldest coach in the NFL. Um, been some inconsistency with Seattle over the past, especially last six to eight weeks of the season. And they have a couple of bad losses late in the season. And you look at it and go, well, yeah, they could be better. So I wonder if that, if that plays a big role into it. Uh, I mentioned that the Falcons are sitting at 8 in the draft. Seattle is sitting at 16. But they don't have um, anything left over from the Russell Wilson trade. So they don't have a lot of draft capital. They're sitting at 16. They do have flexibility at the quarterback position. Another reason why I think that they didn't perform as well at 9-8 and eight this season, I had them as a playoff team this year, but I think a lot of it had to do with Geno Smith's injury and him not be able to play the full season, and him being dinged up. So 
I do think that you have the flexibility of Geno Smith for one more year. And if he does come back 100% healthy and you want to move forward with him, you can. I don't think that's likely, but it gives you enough time to still be competitive. What the Seahawks desperately need is to improve the defense. You got offensive players all over the field if you're Seattle. This team is loaded. I, I think they'll be good enough with Geno Smith at quarterback. You, you have you know Kenny Walker at running back. Um, you have Tyler Lockett. You've got DK Metcalf, who's phenomenal. Uh, you've got weapons. I like both Fant and Disley, the tight ends. They are both great weapons. I think it's time to go bring you a defensive first head coach and then let that guy go get him a young offensive coordinator. Now, the opposite of that is the Ben Johnson thing, you know, go get the, go get the best court, offensive coordinator and then try to figure out the defense. But I don't see how the Seahawks don't make a phone call to their old defensive coordinator, Dan, Dan Quinn. Uh, Dan Quinn was with Pete Carroll. You know, he left at one time to go be the coach of the Atlanta Falcons and was let go there. But Dan Quinn's gone to Dallas and built a hell of a defense in Dallas. He had an opportunity this past season, this past offseason, to go be a head coach and decided not to. This one, this opportunity speaks to me. This is how you get the consistency of Pete Carroll and that program. You get to go back to the idea of the Legion of Boom by bringing in Dan Quinn, who was the guy who made, built the Legion of Doom with Pete Carroll. And then offensively at the quarterback position, it's not set in stone, but you've got flexibility. If Geno's not the guy, we can figure out a way to get the guy in 2025. Uh, there'll be some flexibility there. That's probably going to be a free agent more likely than it would be going to the draft. Um, or if they find someone that maybe a later round quarterback that they like, you know, take a second or third round guy and put him behind Geno Smith for a year, there's a couple of those out there that could be that guy. So not all great quarterbacks were first round guys. First round guys get more opportunity, but there's some, you know, some diamonds in the rough out there in this draft. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle was a team that, went and got a Bo Nix in like round three or four or five. Um, personally, I don't think Bo Nix is going to be an NFL quarterback worth a damn, but that could be a situation where you go get someone like that and see if it would work. So again, to me, if I'm Seattle, it's Dan Quinn is the answer. Have him go find him a young offensive coordinator. Most of the time, he's probably already got someone locked in in his pocket ready to go. As far as ownership, you know, you look again, we looked at the quarterback situation and ownership. Those are the two important things. On the ownership side, they've been consistent with the ownership since this group bought the team, which goes back to predates Pete Carroll by a year. So again, I like the consistency of ownership. I like who they are as a franchise. That's why, to me, Seattle's the best position open. Um, again, I know the other thing I've read, people are telling me, they're saying, the Chargers are the best one because of the quarterback situation. I disagree. Uh, I think it's the Seahawks that won. So um, the last thing I want to get into on these, I know I've mentioned a couple of these candidates. So let's, look, let's talk about some of the candidates that are out there. You know, Bill Belichick is out there. We talked about his name already. He was let go. Um, Belichick's going to be someone that some team is going to offer a lot of money to. They're going to offer him a lot of money. They're going to figure out how to do the GM thing with him as well. I don't think he becomes the general manager. 
but he works with somebody. Where Bill Belichick was best was when he had a general manager he could trust, whether that was Scott Pioli or a couple of others in there in those, those years. I know Scott Pioli was his son-in-law. But, um, you know, he had those years, and they were able to draft. And I think sometimes it takes someone who can tell Bill Belichick, hey, we're not drafting a center in the first round. Hey, yeah, I like this guy too, but I don't like him in the third round. I like him in the sixth round. So you're going to need that if you get Bill Belichick. Um, the next big one to me, and this is the one that literally everyone's going to want to have a conversation with if they haven't already, and it's Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's current Michigan coach. You know, has a his contract is about to end. He has an extension on the table for a lot of money from Michigan. My understanding is, and again, I got this from Tyler Jones on the on the Jones report, is that he want Michigan wants actually it was Michigan wants that if he signs his contract a seven year deal, I believe seven or ten year deal, they want to put a clause that he cannot go to the NFL. They they, they don't like that he's been flirting with the NFL for a couple of years now. If you're Jim Harbaugh, look, you just won the national title. You just brought Michigan, I hate the term brought back, but they did it. He's made Michigan competitive again. He's made Michigan the alpha dog in the, in the Big Ten. Um, if he leaves, they already have a coach ready to go. Defensive coordinator becomes the head coach, and I think it's already a good fit. Um, I think that's a really great idea there. And then the money's going to be there and the opportunity. Jim Harbaugh was successful in San Francisco. It was more of a situation when he left San Francisco to, it was, I don't want to deal with this general manager, and I don't want to, but I do want to go back to my alma mater and help Michigan. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm going to take one of these jobs if they're offered to me, if there's enough money. Again, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm looking at those top two or three. I don't think that... I think the Panthers are the one that's going to offer him the most money. I think that David Tepper is going to say, back up a, big, a Brinks truck with a blank checkbook and say, what do you want? And try to hire Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but he'll be out there. He'll probably be the guy that everyone takes a look at. Belichick's out there. Mike Vrabel's out there. I mean, obviously we talked about Vrabel already. I don't think he should have been leaving Tennessee. But he's going to get lots of looks. I think he's a solid coach. I think he's a solid fit for pretty much any of these teams especially if you're a team that's lost your locker room, I think Vrabel's a home run hire in those cases. That's when you then get into the, the coordinators. There's a lot of coordinators out there, and you think, okay, well, who's going to get the opportunities? Who are the hot coordinators? The hottest one is Ben Johnson. He's the current coordinator, offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions and really built that offense into a 30-point-a-game offense. And my understanding is he is asking for a lot of money. Like he is not coming over cheap. That he was willing to stay in Detroit and be in the number two chair if he's not going to get super, super paid. And I like that idea because if you're going to go somewhere, you want to get paid and you want to make sure it's a great fit for you as well. So um, I, I think that's going to be another one. A couple of the others that are out there, um, Raheem Morris, who was at one time the head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's currently the, the L.A. Rams defensive coordinator. The Rams' defense has been really solid under his stewardship the last couple of years, and I think him working with Sean McVay may help him become a better head coach. Uh, Raheem Morris has had stints, and again, with Tampa, with Atlanta, uh, again, who's kind of universally respected around the league, and I think that he may get a shot somewhere in there. Um, a couple of others being thrown out there, Mike McDonald, the 
uh, Ravens defensive coordinator. Uh, Brian Callahan, he's the Bengals offensive coordinator. If I was the Bengals, I would just go ahead and fire Zach Taylor and just promote Brian Callahan, but that's not going to happen. Uh, Bobby Slowick, who is the Texans offensive coordinator. Um, if you're the Texans, you got to find a way to not let Bobby Slowick out of the room. You got to keep him in that room and keep him with CJ Stroud. And um, the Texans are a year ahead of where they should be. And they have the, they're ascending to a place where they're going to be a perennial problem in the AFC. Um, and then one that I'm putting out there, I think that some teams are going to talk to, um, is Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator currently for the New England Patriots. He um, was previously the head coach of the Houston Texans. He was at Alabama for a few years, as a couple years for as an offensive coordinator. Kind of done the Nick Saban rehab tour. Uh, last year, he's been in New England on the offensive side. Again, this is a guy who, when he was in Houston, was coach and GM. Really built that franchise. And I think what happened really with his issue in Houston was, I think one game hurt them. It was the playoff game where they blew the 28-point lead. The, the, the lead to the Chiefs where they scored 28 in the first half and they were way ahead. The Chiefs come back and win the game. I think from there, that whole franchise was shell-shocked. And I think it kind of spelled Bill O'Brien's doom from there. But I'm not a bit surprised to see a team come in, take a chance, and maybe it's someone like the Commanders or the Titans go in and say, let's give Bill O'Brien a chance. I also, frankly, wouldn't be surprised if Harbaugh leaves Michigan and, and then and the, the coaching carousel spins a little bit more, uh, with now Nick Saban leaving um, Alabama, they have uh, made a hire. Or, or the hires already happened there, but now the carousel spins with the opening in Washington after the Washington coach goes over to Alabama. Don't be surprised if Bill O'Brien gets caught up in that as well. So uh, a few things there on those. So uh, here we take a small break. Uh, while we're doing that, I want to remind everybody, hey, one of the things we do with this podcast is it gives me an opportunity to come on and talk about football, to talk about, you know, we're football-centric here, but it's football, it's basketball, baseball, everything you want to talk about sports-wise. But the real reason we do this is that, if you don't know, I own a business. I'm a financial advisor, O'Connor Advisory Group. I say it every week, you know, the O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGKS.com. First of the year. We're, at the, we're two weeks into the new year, and we're all doing the new year, new me. I'm going to do some things. I'm going to lose a little bit of weight. You know, I'm doing that myself. And then you're all pumped up. But it's also the right time to start getting your money right. If you're not looking at a retirement plan, if you are just got a 401k plan, and you think that's going to get you by, it's not. Give us a shout. Go to OAGKS.com. Click, the, click on there to contact us. It's going to go directly to me. Give me a shout. Let us talk to you. Let us figure out. Let's work with you. See where you're at currently. And what I like to do at, o at O'Connor Advisory Group is I like to say, I want to take a snapshot of where you are today, a snapshot, kind of build the painting of where you want to go. And my job is to help draw you that roadmap from where you are to where you want to be and to be your guide and hold your hand from the beginning to the end. Don't talk about that enough here on the podcast. I'm going to start doing that a little bit more. But if that's you, if you're thinking about that, whether you're just getting started or maybe you've had a couple of career changes or a job change and you go, man, I need to, what about that old 401k? What about this? What about that? Let us help you. 
let me rope. Let me help you. And let me help you out. OAGKS.com. It's O'Connor Advisory Group, Kansas for KS. But uh, you can go to O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com or OAGKS.com for the shortcut. Check it out. There's a lot of helpful stuff on there. There's articles, different things you can take a look at. If you've got questions about any of that stuff, contact us on there. It's going to come directly to my email. And I would be glad to take an opportunity to chat with anyone who's listening, anyone who may have questions. Give me a shout. Let's do this for you. Let's be your partner, and let's get you moving. Let's get you on that road from where you are to where you want to be. And there's no better time than in January to get started. Hey, okay, last thing we're going to do before we get out of here today is I'm going to talk about the um, wild card weekend picks in the NFL. I'm going to, do, I'm going to pick all the games real quick. Uh, I want to say real quick, I was with some friends this past week, uh, having lunch with a few friends, and three or four of them asked me, hey, who are you picking this weekend? Who are you doing? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I want to make clear about something. We're happy to have DraftKings as our sponsor and everything DraftKings does for us. And we encourage you, if you want to get down on some games, this is the best place to do it. But I also want to be clear that if I make a pick, it is how I feel, but that doesn't mean that I think you should take my picks and go try to make money on them. Please don't do that. Um, again, do your own research, get your own opinions, and you know if you like what I say, that's great too. But don't again, don't rely on what I'm saying here if you're putting money on these games. Let's start uh, again. We're getting this put out. By the time you hear this, this game will have already started, and that is Cleveland at Houston. So Houston gets into the playoffs here the last week of the season. Um, again, kind of fumbled up the last month a little bit with C.J. Stroud having the concussion issues and a few things there. Cleveland has had an amazing run here at the end, signing Joe Flacco come out, coming, out, coming off the couch. And um, that Cleveland defense is great. I think it's the best defense in the league. Um, however, this game's in Houston. Uh, there's also been a couple of issues with some injuries. Um, and I don't know what all's happening there. Uh, we're looking at the inactives. I'm looking at this now. Looks like we'd heard about a couple of possible uh, defensive injuries or a particular defensive injury in the back half of the defense. Looks like that's not an issue now for Cleveland. But even with that, I know Cleveland is uh, the favorite here, even on the road. Cleveland's laying two at Houston. I like Houston in this game, and I'm taking Houston plus the two. I mean, might even might venture on the money line. I just I like what the Texans' offense does with C.J. Stroud, and I wonder when the Flacco magic ends. Uh, so let's see what happens there. But I'm going to take the Texans plus the two in that game. Um, Saturday night's game. This is the one that, if you haven't heard, is only on Peacock unless you live in the local Kansas City market. Um, Miami is going to Kansas City and going to play in this hellacious weather we're having here. Uh, for those who don't know, who aren't in the Kansas City area, as I'm recording this on Saturday, it is currently zero degrees. Um, it's going to be like negative five by game time, and they're talking about wind chills into the negative teens and 20s. The Chiefs are at home. They're a five-point favorite. I was lucky enough to go to the Chiefs game two weeks, two weeks ago, week uh, uh, 16, uh, at home against the Bengals. In the first possession, the Chiefs' offense looked incredible. They had a mix of the run and the pass and everything going on there. And then Andy Reid decided to be the Andy Reid that got fired in Philly by just trying to throw the ball too much. I know that it's easy to say that the Dolphins, you know, the Miami team, they can't practice in the cold weather. The Chiefs have been able to all week. 
really that cold, cold weather just came in here like yesterday. So uh, I, the Chiefs really got one big-time practice in the cold. I know that the Dolphins can't simulate any of that. But what does travel is a really good run game. And the Dolphins want to throw the ball, but they throw the ball by running the ball first. The Chiefs don't commit to running the ball. Now, the Chiefs' advantage is they've got Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs are a five-point favorite. I like the Dolphins plus five here. I think there is a small chance the Dolphins can escape Kansas City with the win outright because of the run game. They will have to, if they do win, it will be because of the run game and because, frankly, the Chiefs' offense has not been good. Um, you know, the Chiefs' offense throw out the last week of the season, that game where half the roster sat, but really scoring 25 points against the Bengals, uh, only the one touchdown and six field goals, losing at home to the Raiders in a game that they really just got their ass kicked in, um, playing terrible, only scoring uh, 20, they scored 27 in New England three weeks ago or a month ago, didn't play well, didn't play well in Green Bay, didn't play well against Buffalo. It's been difficult for the Chiefs to put together a lot of points. And I think you're going to need some points this week. I think that you're going to need to be able to because I think what the Dolphins will do is shorten the game by running the ball. The Chiefs will have to make a couple of big plays in the passing game. They're perfectly capable of doing it if it's Mahomes and Kelsey. And uh, I'll tell a story next week about being at the game. Uh, we we were lucky enough to go down by the sideline pregame and I kind of have a different perspective on something now than I did a few weeks ago. But um, I wanted to talk about that later. I I do think that the Chiefs, this is a closer game than people think. Because of that, I'm taking the Dolphins plus five. Now, since we started recording, the NFL has moved the early game Saturday. The Steelers-Bills game has been moved to Monday. So originally... This line was, I've seen this as high as 12 points, um, with the Bills being a 12-point favorite. I'm showing it currently on DraftKings at 10. I'm taking the Bills in this game. Um, The Steelers will not have T.J. Watt. I like the Bills at home, and I think that we'll see some less mistakes from Josh Allen in this game, being as he won't be as pressured as much without T.J. Watt in the game. So uh, give me the Bills, lay the 10. Uh, The Sunday games... We have the 3.30 game, Green Bay in Dallas. This could be the trap game for the Cowboys. You know, it's Mike McCarthy against his old team. Um, again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a buyer of the Packers. The Cowboys have been great at home. Seven-point favorites. I think that's about right. I'm not taking the Packers plus the points. I really don't want to hit the Cowboys minus the points either. I see this as like a six, seven, eight-point game. Um but I do think that if the Cowboys get pressure on Jordan Love, it could be a longer game for him. I'm taking the Cowboys. I'll lay the seven. This is not my favorite play of the weekend. Sunday night's game. This is the game I'm most looking forward to. The Rams at Detroit. I'm even worried about the bullshit storylines. You know, um, Matt Stafford coming back to Detroit. And I don't want to be worried about that stuff. What I want to talk about, is these two teams. The Lions have sort of fulfilled what we thought they could be. They went from being the team that just missed the playoffs, but Dan Campbell's shit nuts and his team loves him and follows him, to this year they've been the team that scores a lot of points, 
plays decent defense. They play, they play good defense in certain weeks and can just run it up on you when they need to. Over the last second half of the season, the Rams did some kind of major league turnaround in their team. This is a team that was really banged up at the beginning of the year. They still have some injuries up front in the defense, but what they have is, it's like a, this is a battle of coaches to me. These aren't two great quarterbacks. You know, I think that Goff has had a really good season for Detroit. Stafford's a better quarterback. Um, there's better weapons in the Lions than there is in the Rams' offense. The Rams have the better defense if healthy. This game's in Detroit. It should be a raucous time. The Lions are a home favorite with three. I'm going to the Lions and lay the three points. I think this is going to be an outstanding game. That's actually my favorite game of the weekend. Um, my favorite two picks of the week, I like the Lions minus three and the Dolphins plus five. Um, the Monday night game, we already talked about the Monday day game now with Buffalo and Pittsburgh, we already covered that. The Eagles, as a wild card team now, Super Bowl champs from a year ago, lost five of six, limping into the playoffs, are going to Tampa to play the NFC champ, NFC South champions. Uh, the Eagles are a three-point favorite here. Folks, I am squeamish to lay any points with Philly. I just, I'm saying that now because, frankly, I don't know who the Eagles are right now. I think Jalen Hurts is hurt, pun not intended. I think he's injured. We saw he did something to his throwing hand last week. The defense has not played up to who they are and their and their, and their talent. The, um, the Eagles will not have AJ Brown in the back. Looks like. I really don't have a good feel for this game. I'm taking the Eagles. If I have to make the pick, I would be the Eagles minus three because I think I don't like the Bucks offense. I don't like Baker Mayfield at all. I think that what could happen is this is a way for the Eagles defense to get well because Baker can be Baker. And he can either go out there with the moxie of a guy who's going to grab his nuts on the sideline, or he's the guy who's going to have some moxie and throw four interceptions. Um, either way, I like the Eagles to win, but I don't know about covering, but I begrudgingly will take them to cover. So, again, I would not bet this game at all if it was anything more than the Eagles in the money line. That might be a live bet for me if I was someone who goes through that. So, again, my picks, I like the Eagles. I like the Buffalo. I like Detroit, I like Dallas, I like Miami plus the points, and I like Houston plus the points. So those are my uh, six picks for the weekend for Wild Card Weekend just to get them on. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll go back next week and judge it. Unlike the folks on TV, I will hold myself accountable. So, uh, hey, thanks for joining us today here on the Coach Bo Knows Podcast. I appreciate it, everybody jumping in. I know it's been a little while since I've been in here, but we wanted to get in and have a good time with it today, kind of get caught up on the football, the, the NFL coaching stuff. I want to thank, uh, before we get into thanking everybody, I want to say, hey, we're going to flip, blow up your timeline here next couple of weeks. We're going to be doing a few more episodes. I'm going to be doing some stuff. We're going to bring in a couple of guests. Um, Token girl, Ellen Wingenhurst is going to be back, co-hosting with me here in a couple days, and we're going to talk about Kansas basketball and some of the college basketball stuff going on. Uncle Rico may join us for that as well. Uncle Rico and I will be talking about the playoffs and once we get into the playoff play this week and what's going on there. Uh, a lot of expanded talk on college basketball will be coming from me. Um, we're going to be covering all the college football stuff through the, through the rest of the year, through the Super Bowl. So look for podcasts coming up on all those items, and then i got a couple special ones coming out soon. 
Uh, I am currently doing some research, and I'm just fascinated by the Shohei Otani contract. If you know me of sports business stuff, I love the sports business stuff. That's why we talked about the, the coaches thing today. But Otani's new contract with the Dodgers, and a lot's been made of his deferred comp, and now there may be a legal aspect and a tax issue here. Uh, I'm going to get all into that. I'm actually doing a little more research, talking to a couple of folks, so I can make sure I got all my ducks in a row. But I'm going to do a special pod on that. Probably be out in about a week. So be looking for that. And then also, as we're talking about stuff with our friends at DraftKings, I want to be careful, and I want to make sure that everyone is, um, again, doing their pieces. So I've got a couple of folks who may be coming in, and we're going to be talking about what some of the more professional players, uh, gamblers are doing, and what they're looking at, and how to start playing some of these games, whether they're NFL or college basketball, um, even the NHL and baseball. Some of the things will be coming up soon. Um, I personally have been playing a lot of the NHL lately and doing fairly well. So I uh, want to bring that up as well. So if you do want a special DraftKings non-NFL pick for you, I got a crazy one for you. One thing I've enjoyed is watching a little bit of the Australian NBL, which is the National Basketball League in Australia. Uh, late nights, you can see it on ESPN Plus now. And I got a pick for you. Saturday night, the Sydney Kings will be hosting the New Zealand Breakers. Sydney Kings minus three and a half. Jump all over the Kings. I love the Kings on Saturday night. So jump all over that if you want a little extra bonus flavor. Um, other than that, have a great week. I want to say thanks to Tyler Jones, everybody at Studio Soapbox. Don't forget, I am back on the uh, Tyler Jones on the Jones Report with Tyler Jones and Tom Bridges. I'll be on there every Thursday. Uh, check out the feed for that. We have a lot of fun on there, and Tyler's got a great show. Um, he's got a great guest every week. They get into a lot of different stuff. It's more Midwest located, more Kansas and uh, stuff in the, in the region, but it's really a lot of fun. Um, so I want to thank him. And I want to thank everybody at Studio, Studio Soapbox and all you guys do behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Most importantly, I want to thank you, the listener. Don't forget to rate us and review us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get this podcast. We appreciate every five-star review. Until next time, I'm Coach Bo Brian O'Connor. Have a great week. If you're local, please stay warm and stay home. It's a cold one. And remember your time tokens are not your phone. Happy New Year, everybody. Take care.